Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Venture Property Podcast, and thank you very much for listening. We live in a super fast world these days, and I really, really appreciate the fact that you take the time to, to listen to this podcast. So please do me a favor. If you get one nugget from this podcast or any of the podcasts, then please tell your other property friends, other property people you know, or entrepreneur friends about them. This month, I have some pretty interesting people. Today, even though I'm absolutely full of man flu, I am absolutely buzzing for this this podcast. This is perhaps my most well-known guest, another data geek just like me who has also been to Lincolnshire, which is not what you guys have been to, and that is (laughs) Harry Mizell. I can hear him laughing in the background. Today, guys, we are sponsored, as always, by the Real Estate Slackers, which is just a little slice of the internet that myself and JC created, because I believe that everybody needs a bit of JC in their life. It's just a free site group where we talk all things property and business. To get access to that, go to realestateslackers.com. So onto the podcast. I'll try my hardest not to fangirl too much here. But I love my technology and I love my systems. I genuinely thought I was really good at them until I stumbled across today's guest and literally bought every single one of his books. I joined the Less Doing Labs, which I'm sure he's going to talk about. I was sold because this took my geekiness to a whole new level. And he has a truly amazing story, which I'm not going to go into because I'm going to let him discuss that. But as I said, he's the author of some incredible books like The Art of Doing Less, Idea to Execution, and Less Doing More Living, and has an all, a whole ethos around the art of doing less. So, Ari, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on. No, thank you for coming. It's, uh, it's an absolute pleasure. Shall we delve into your story then? I'm not going to say too much because I know at the peak of your career, you were very, very successful working really hard what then happened well first of all i don't i don't know if working really hard means that i was really successful you know in some ways looking back i'm not sure that that was the peak of success but it felt like it at the time for sure so i I was working in construction uh doing a big real estate development project and i had been living a fairly unhealthy lifestyle and very very stressed out and i was diagnosed with crohn's disease which for those who don't know is a chronic inflammatory condition that affects the digestive tract and it's very painful and very debilitating. And I got really sick really quickly and was put, found myself in a situation where I was barely able to get an hour of work done a day. And after a long process of experimenting on myself and tracking things in my life, I was able to get off my meds and start working on creating a new system of getting more done in the less, the little time that I had in a day so less doing was born out of that need to get more done with less time resources money whatever it was but i wanted to basically be more effective by optimizing automating and outsourcing everything in my life hmm. wow so i'm just gonna absolutely dive in right now and just pick up on a couple of things that you said so what is the peak of success for you then um so I think that the peak of success in a lot of ways is not is being in a situation where you're not worried anymore, maybe. Yeah. Uh, I think that's one side of it. I don't have to be thinking that, and, and it doesn't mean that you're a billionaire either necessarily because there's other worries that come along with that kind of stuff. Uh, but to me, I get to do what I want to do and that's what serves my 
team the best, my clients, my family. And every day in some way I'm improving myself. So there's a lot of personal growth that's involved in that. But um, I, I believe that I'm serving the people in my life the best that I can. Wow. I really like, I really like that. And I really like that ethos. I see a lot of the time, a lot of people absolutely slaving away, you know, they go on holiday and they're still working when they're away. And I'm just like, come on, (laughs) enjoy your holiday. Enjoy that time with your family, you know? Yeah, exactly. So you briefly touched upon it, but there is a whole three-step process, which is super smooth. The optimize, automate, and outsource. Can we delve into the, the optimized process and then how you look at a task and how you optimize that? Yeah, and, and so as you said, the order matters. So the biggest problem that people usually face with trying to outsource things or even automate is that they, they get to, they, they sort of skip a step. And it's very hard to outsource something when you don't really know what you're outsourcing. So with optimization, really, very simply, we're just kind of looking at what we're actually doing. And while that might sound silly or, or simple, a lot of times people go through the motions of doing the things in their business and in their life, and they just do it. And they're kind of on autopilot. And the problem with that is that we don't recognize opportunities for improvement uh, and probably more importantly, we become a bottleneck in our businesses at least because if suddenly you're not available to do that thing, nobody else knows how it's done. Mm. That is very true. I read a stat the the other week that was like 67% of of entrepreneurs and business owners are stuck doing day-to-day tasks in their business. And like you've you've just hit upon, if if you're not there, what's going to happen? And I always look at a business like that. Well, and it's, it, it's besides the fact that the business, I mean, I've, I've literally seen businesses fail because the founder or the head of the company was, was a, a bottleneck and they wouldn't let things move past them. And that just makes people feel like they're not trusted. It doesn't empower people properly. And, you know, if you're sick one day, then things don't work. So that, that's a big issue. But at the other side of it, it's, it's just really relieving. It's, it's nice to take that weight off your shoulders and know that you're not the only one that can do things and that the business can operate and possibly continue to grow without you pushing it. Mm. It's momentum. Yeah, and I suppose you're not always the best person to take that task on. You rarely are. I mean, the, the thing is, is when you build up a team, if you really build a team that's empowered, they should know more about a lot of the aspects of business than you do. And it's not your job to know those things. Your job is to be the visionary that's creating new ideas and connections in order to grow through the mechanisms, processes, and systems you have in place. Hmm. So when you're looking to build, build a team, then do you have any top tips for my listeners? Cause I know that that's what they're going to be definitely thinking right now. When you're looking, sorry, you cut out there for a second. Say it again. Sorry. So when you're looking at building a team, do you have any quick top tips for my listeners who will be thinking about building teams right now? Yeah. Um, people is people are not the answer when you have a problem. Usually, you have to figure out the processes first because most people default to just hiring more people and throwing more people at the problem, and that doesn't work. It just doesn't work unless you have good scalable processes in place. Because if you put a person on a job or work that doesn't need to be done by them or by a person, period, 
they'll never fully engage with that work and you'll never be able to trust that they're being proactive about it. So that's one thing before you hire anybody. But then when you do hire, I always look for certain skills that I don't think are trainable in people, yep. in my business at least. I want people who are proactive and who are attention and have attention to detail and are infinite learners. So those are three things that I just don't think you can train. And I'm not saying in a judgy way, because I do not have very good attention to detail and I'm not necessarily the most proactive. Um, I was just going to ask you that. (laughs) No, but I know that those are the things that I need in a team around me to make sure that my ideas come to fruition in a way that makes sense. And by the way, I can bring ideas to my team and they can say no. Mm. That's a key point, I think, there. I really like that you, you already delved straight into it, that you don't have the attention to detail. And it's key building that team around you um, that have skills that you don't have. But it's interesting that you automate so many things. I mean, I found out about the website ifttt.com through you. And it is li- I literally spent a week just completely geeking out, um, just setting up little things. So I was spending time putting, just for example, my Gmail attachments into my Google Drive myself and then organizing them. Whereas I found that website, it had um, an if this, then that, which just did it automatically for me. And it's probably saved me 30, 40 minutes a day. But over the course of the week, that adds up. Well, you're also avoiding errors, right? Because what if you don't do that one time? And, and you know, nothing, none of those things that you mentioned are necessarily going like, to make or break your business, but it does add up in that way as well. One error can lead to another, and then you don't even know where the, where the error happened. So you've t- you've, you look to optimize first and then automate. What kind of tasks are you automating? So in general, we're looking at any thing that has some sort of repetitive nature to it so if you do it more than once uh, or sorry if you do it more than twice really you should be looking at some way that you can automate and if it's something that if it's something that is a very clear sort of trigger and action that's another case to automate so if you can say like when this happens i do this very very simply that's almost always something that we can figure out an automation for. And, and I know that that sounds very broad too, but if you say like somebody buys something from me, I want to send them a thank you card. Okay. Trigger action. Uh, somebody Perfect. signs up for my newsletter. I need to add them to, I need to tag them in Infusionsoft, whatever it might be. Okay. Trigger action. Um, somebody likes one of my photos on Instagram. I want to reach out to them. I mean like it's, you know, think about those triggers and actions, triggers and actions, small things. And they can definitely become automated. Mm. And then it's just going to save you so much time. And also, it's, it's like you say, there's less effort. That, so, yes. And obviously, I want to save time. I want to save money. I want to like, save resources. But to me, the most fascinating part of it is the avoiding of errors. So you're creating a process that's so good that it can't be messed up. Mm. So what's like... So I know that you work with you work with clients on this. What's some of the best things in your mind that you've then been able to automate for people? Like some real life hands-on examples. 
Um, so I, I think some of the, the bigger ones that we've done are the uh, are hiring and onboarding. So taking an unlimited number of applicants, really, and taking them through any process uh, that might include interviewing, background checks, personality tests, uh, onboarding, training, all that kind of stuff. So creating a, creating that uh, process, I've also automated was for producing podcasts and, and promoting them, so that the creator could just record their best part and then you know, forget about it. Uh, most recently, my, my fascination is with the customer journey. So how somebody goes from being a lead to a customer to hopefully a raving fan and all the various touch points that you need to have along the way to nurture that to happen, which also can be mostly automated. Mm. And what system are you using for that? I would, I'd be interested to know. If there was one system, that would be amazing. It's usually a duct tape together version of about 15 different things that were never meant to be used for that purpose. And I just, yeah. that's, that's kind of like how my brain works. I'm able to see, I'm able to connect the dots in a way that, that a lot of other people aren't. So in itself, I feel like that might not have been a very useful skill in my life, but somehow I figured out a way to make it useful. Yeah. It does seem very much like you've, you've taken a lot of your skills and then harnessed them into the right the right ways and then just let the automation run away with it um, which I really really like I've done my, my automation is like I proper geek out about it which is why I'm so excited to talk to you because when you talk to other people that get it uh, it's just it's just so fascinating and uh, it's just really nice to be able to geek out with somebody else so then the next step for you is to outsource how does that look and work uh, so there's, there's sort of two sides to that as well. Uh, so I have a team of seven people that are incredible, but that I would call that more delegating. Uh, we're outsourcing to two different, there, there's two different services that I like. Uh, if, if you're going to use a dedicated virtual assistant, I would recommend a service called Priority VA. And if you're going to use on-demand services, then there's a, there's a company called Magic. It's getmagic.com, which is amazing and there's a sort of a continuum there that most people aren't aware of so if you're not a big user of assistance or you kind of want to test it out then an on-demand service makes sense with an on-demand service you're using a whole team of people that you can you know might have a broad range of skill sets you have more access more bandwidth and they tend to be cheaper once you get to a point where you have sort of uh maybe more high touch more customer facing things like that you might want to get a dedicated assistant that knows your how you do things and can develop relationships but then but then you can actually move beyond that where your needs are so great that you need an on-demand service again because one person can no longer handle your needs and that's where i live so we have um we, we uh right now i think we do uh like maybe three or four dozen tasks a week with magic so one person would just be having a heart attack at this point. Um, and they're able to work on things for us 24-7. So that's, that's where I end up outsourcing. And a lot of it is very little mundane things, like things that I just want to get done quickly. Like we were on a call the other day with the team on a Zoom call, and I got iPad Pros for a couple of people on the team because we use them for presentations. And somebody said that she wanted the pencil, the Apple Pencil. So while we're talking, I texted Magic and had them do it. By the time the call was done, it was taken care of. On a personal side of things, I was getting the kids, we have four small kids, I'm getting them ready for or for school and cooking breakfast in the morning for them. And my wife texted me that we needed to get um, 
a, a gift basket for a, a friend of ours that just had a baby. And I'm like, I had like a, a, an egg pan in one hand and I texted magic and the other telling him. And by the time we walked out the door to go to school, it was done. So, and that's really satisfying. There's like that feeling of done constantly and off my brain. So literally like everything, even personal tasks have been outsourced, like just text magic, get the, the gift basket and it's sent, dealt with and done. Exactly. That is so cool. So what does a normal day look like for you then? How many hours are dedicated to what we would call work? Um, so I, I take my kids to school every morning and I also pick them up from school. So essentially I will work between the hours of 9 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. Yep. And that's it. And then it's family time. Wow. And then everything else is continually running in the background while you're, you're having family time. Yep, correct. That sounds like it's very, very important to you. It is. I mean, it's, 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 it's the driving force in every decision that I make about travel, about business, thing. I mean, everything. Mm. I like that. And I like that, the ethos about that, that everything is, is outsourced and so that you can actually spend the time where, where you want to, to spend it. And then that must be so enriching for, for all of your family and for you. Do you think you're more successful because of that? Uh, it depends on how you define success. I would say yes. <laughs> um, by, my, by my definition of success, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think success is being able to, for me, it's being able to have that freedom to choose. Um, so if I want to go and spend time with my partner or go golfing or, or, or any of these kind of things, then I'm not stuck at a laptop. I'm not stuck at a desk. I couldn't ever be stuck at a desk anyway. So being able to do that frees me up and I think it has a knock-on effect into, into the business. Well, and the thing is, and this might sound weird, but I, I never ever have to feel any guilt about yeah. choosing work in any situation. Hmm. I'm just letting that sink in. Because <laughs> you are one of those people that when you speak, you just listen and absorb what you're saying. Um, Thank you. <laughs> uh, I mean, well, that's the thing is so many people always feel like they have to make that choice and they're always, it's like they're, they're disappointing somebody no matter what. Mm. And I don't have that. Has that always been there or has it taken you years and years to get to that point? Uh, I mean, well, my children are six years, six years. I have a six year old boy, twin four year old boys and a two year old girl. So it hasn't been that long in my life that they've been part of it um so i i think that it's pretty much when they were when they when when they entered my life that's when that sort of became a shift which i think a lot of parents describe you know when when they have their first child like everything changes but uh the other thing was that the the evolution of less doing uh it's only about seven years old a little over seven years old so a lot of it happened while i was a parent my second podcast episode ever actually was the I'm a dad podcast when my son Ben was born. Wow. Wow. So that's seven years. So why don't you tell the audience a little bit about that and that journey and how that came to pass? Yeah. So while I was trying to get healthy and deal with the stress and stuff, I started just 
I, the truth is, is I was basically put myself in this sort of pressure cooker of stress. And the, it was like a, you know, it compressed into a diamond in, in, in the end of the day because I was forcing myself quite honestly through restrictions, which I really think is one of the best ways you can innovate is by giving yourself less to work with. So uh, less doing was came out of that. I developed these nine fundamentals to the system. I started teaching it uh, in person in New York and I started speaking at different events and then I wrote a book and then that put me on a bigger stage and I started speaking at more uh, uh, national and international events and really developed a coaching methodology to help people implement this stuff in their lives and their businesses. And then uh, now we do everything from free productivity support for productivity junkies in our listening labs all the way up to very high level intensive business consulting. Right, so if people want to find out a bit more about that, where can they go? Uh, lessdoing.com. Everything's there. The the website, the blogs, the podcasts, and all of our different programs and services, including the academy, which you're in. Yes, I am. And it's, I, re I really like it. I like the structure of it. I like the smoothness of it. I, I, so I joined and I literally, the day I joined, inhaled probably most of the videos and then got straight to work on the whole podcast automation that you have and literally just blew my mind of how smooth that whole process is and how you genuinely have taken taken something and then you've optimized it you've automated it and you've outsourced it it's such a smooth cool tech fashion that it just it sang to my inner geek good yeah great it's definitely and this whole podcast will follow that that pattern as well which is is really nice so i've got a couple of questions from my audience because i told them that i had you on the podcast and they were quite excited so the first one is when starting out and striving to grow your business it's very easy to keep doing the doing to move you forward rather than stopping and planning? What would be your suggestions for an early stage business? The more we sweat in training, the less we bleed in war. Uh, if you think, you know, obviously I don't want people to stall and you have to keep moving and be growth minded and be focused on building revenue, but you have to balance that with making sure the processes are good. Now the thing is, there are levels where this matters. Okay. So you don't have to do this every day as you're a startup. It really doesn't matter as much that you have processes in place like this until you get more towards the 300,000 to a million dollar revenue area. Up until about $300,000 in revenue, you can pretty much fake it till you make it. Um, and that really serves across almost every industry. We see just very consistent patterns. So at that point, your biggest concern is, is getting more leads and converting more leads. And whether you automate that or not, that's, I mean, that's great. But the focus at that point should be getting more leads. Once you get beyond that $300,000, you have to start looking at systems. Otherwise, the thing that got you to where you are is the same thing that will keep you there. Hmm. That makes perfect sense. It's got to scale and it's got, you've got to get those systems right to get those foundations to build upon yeah and the the next question is that i have read and 
I understand the efficient efficiency the efficient efficiency processes and productive time approaches. However, I default back to the doing and fail to join the dots. What would you recommend? Uh, then you probably haven't broken it down properly. So you have to stop again and look at the process. You really have to focus on the optimization and look at what the different steps are in it. Mm -hmm. um, and there may be things that are okay for you to sort of jump in and do for now, but there's going to be other things that are definitely not. So a lot of times that really just means that like they, they really haven't done that optimized process. Yeah. Perfect. And just a, a question that I picked up on something you said earlier, do you still invest in real estate? Uh, no, I, I mean, I, we have several properties that uh, I sort of um, like with very little effort manage the construction and management of them, but it's not, it's not something that I'm passionate about at all. I wonder, I knew that you wouldn't have much involvement in them. It was when you said that, I was like, he's definitely automated that. So we've got to the sort of three questions, which I always ask every single guest towards the end of the podcast interview. So number one is when you think of the word successful, who's the first person who comes to mind and why? Um, Taki Moore. So Taki is a, is a coach of coaches. He's a guy got a business called million dollar coach and he teaches coaches of all sorts of uh, disciplines, how to build their businesses. Uh, he has six kids, two of whom are adopted. Uh, and they travel the world together and he runs these amazing businesses that makes him happy. And he's changed the lives of all sorts of other people, myself included. I've learned a lot from him and, uh, yeah, he's a genius. Never actually heard of him. So I'm going to go and check him out afterwards. And the second question is what is the book that has had the biggest impact on you? Emergency by Neil Strauss. Emergency. As in the same Neil Strauss who wrote the game. Yep. Yeah. This was his second book. I will check that one out. And everybody listening, they know that if they share this podcast uh, around on Facebook, then what I do is I add every single person who shared it into a competition. And at the end of the month, I draw a name out of the hat and then I send those books that all of my interviewees have said have changed their life. So that's just a little thing of how you could get a copy of that book for free. So the last question before I let you dash off is what is the worst advice that you see or hear in your industry? Just keep hustling or, you know, hustle, got to hustle, like rise and grind. I, don't, I mean, I work very hard and I love what I do. So it's, it, it that's what drives me. But I, but I also integrate my actual life with that. So there's a point where you have to work very, very hard. And then there's a point where it basically there's, there's an idea of freedom from and freedom to. So a lot of people are seeking freedom from something, whereas eventually you get into a place where you can have freedom to do something. And that's where we want to be. That, that sums up so many people, which I've met there. They're all, they are striving for that freedom to do. So thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure to spend some time with you today and pick your brain. Thank you for having me. That was great.
And if anyone wants to get in touch with you, where's the best place for them to find out about your products, your services, or you as a person? Uh, they can go to lessdoing.com and then I'm on social media everywhere as at Ari Mizell. Perfect. So guys, you know where to, to hit this guy up if you want to get in touch. Thank you so much for being on that podcast today. Thank you.